reading from Ezra 5. Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the sons of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God. There, in, there is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tetanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of the God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. This is a copy of the letter to Tetanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. To Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the providence of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber laid in its walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We also asked them their names for their information that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the, carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Sirius the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to those whose names was Shesbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, go, and put them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it, is being, it has been building, and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let the search be made to the royal archives there in Babylon, to see where, whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure in this manner. God, we do thank you. We thank you today that your praise is on our lips today. God, you have um, you've reminded us over and over and over and over again that you're worthy. You're worthy to be praised because of who you are, not just because of what you've done, but because of who you are. 
along with the Apostle John, we cry out with our hearts this morning, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You've created all things, and all things were created for your pleasure. That's why we're here today, God. We're here to lift up your name, and I pray that as we hear your word today, and as the the, the songs continue to resound in our spirit about your faithfulness and how worthy you are, I pray, God, that we will covenant in our heart to use this time today to come close to you and let you come close to us. And God, how I pray that you will change our life. I pray that we will not just hear your word, but we'll be willing to obey your word. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me again today, as you've heard it read already, to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5, as we continue our journey through, through the book of Ezra today. I think you would agree with me that distractions are real. And distractions to God's purpose and God's plans are very costly. Different kinds of things distract us in life. And I'm going to share a few few things that uh, through the, the, the last couple of years have been potential distractions for me, and I think you can associate with this. I've, I've recently discovered that serious health issues can be a distraction. Uh, in the past three or so years, I've had continuing issues with where the ulnar nerve was cut half in two in my arm and affects the use of, of my primary hand, my right hand. I've had foot surgery. Uh, I battled with an eye disorder. I've been back and forth to MUSC four times and finally uh, received a prescription that is, is helping with the dead nerve in, in my left eye. Most recently, I battled with a melanoma, and the, uh, the, the surgery went great, but then the, the follow-up treatment uh, nearly destroyed me, and it was a potential distraction, health issues can be a distraction, and I'm sure many of you can relate to that. Keeping personal property functional can be a distraction. Uh, 17 years ago, we remodeled our house, and just in the past couple of years, we have replaced our dishwasher, we've replaced our clothes dryer, we've replaced the upstairs and downstairs HVAC units, We've had serious foundational issues and had to have our foundation uh, underscored and upshored, undershored. Uh, And two months ago, our washing machine overflowed and flooded our downstairs, and we've got to have our whole wood flooring system replaced. Personal property issues can be a distraction. I think that's one reason why when the land was divided, we've read uh, recently in uh, Leviticus and Numbers, in Deuteronomy, that the, the Levites had no assignment to property. I think one of the reasons for that was they were so busy doing God's work in the temple that they, they, they couldn't be distracted with personal property issues. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's the reason. But anyway, cultural events can be a distraction. Around our world today, as Sherry mentioned, we have Super Bowl Sunday. And I, I, I love football. Nobody loves football better than me. But I do know that I would guess that the priority of most people in our culture today 
is set more on worshiping the God of football than they are the true and living God who created life itself and sustains life itself. Tomorrow, we celebrate Valentine's Day. Nothing wrong with that. I love Valentine's Day. It's a way to let uh, those that we care about, those that we love, know how much we love them. But this can be a distraction to prioritizing the primary focus on the God that we love. So I wonder, as, as, as I trust that I can lead you to wonder today, is our highest priority showing love to the God who so loved the world that he sacrificially gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My point is that cultural events can be distractions. So as we move into the bulk of Ezra chapter 5, between Ezra chapter 4, the last verse where it said the work on the temple ceased, and the beginning of chapter 5, some 15 to 20 years expired. 15 to 20 years passed, and no further work was done on God's temple. So along come Haggai that we looked at last week. We studied the whole book of Haggai in our worship service last week. Zechariah has 12 chapters and are constructed differently from Haggai. But these two men, Haggai and Zechariah, were God's faithful prophets. They were called by God to be his mouthpiece in the world. And they called God's people to turn away from personal priorities, personal distractions, and turn their full focus back to honoring their priority of restoring God's temple and rebuilding their relationship with God. So they called God's people to stop being distracted from listening to God over their own personal priority issues. So how do you overcome distractions? How do you prioritize God's vision over these personal priority issues that are going to happen? They're going to happen regularly. How do you overcome distractions? Four ways this morning I see straight from this passage. So let's, let's dig in and look at them. First of all, admit failure and move forward with God's priorities. We see this in verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And so, these men of God, these prophets of God, call God's people to admit the fact that 15 to 20 years had passed since they moved on with the, the challenge that God had brought them back from Babylon to do. They had returned after 70 years of exile to rebuild God's temple and reestablish meaningful heartfelt worship in their life 
prioritizing God in their life. What had, what had sidetracked them? Well, threats from the enemy and lack of obedience to faith in God delayed their mission for another 15 to 20 years. So Haggai, God's prophet, challenged God's people to admit that they had failed and get back to work in rebuilding the temple. So work on rebuilding God's temple was finally restored. Another challenge came from Zechariah, and it was just as important. God had communicated with Zechariah primarily through visions and dreams, and his challenge was for God's people to recommit their heart to prioritizing God in their life. Now, I don't know about you, but I would pray that would be a wake-up call for our culture today, for our generation today. Putting God in first place was the call from Zechariah to God's people. So after 70 years of exile and then 15 to 20 more years of disobedience, how could God's people get back on track? Well, Haggai and Zechariah challenged God's people in two ways. One way, they, spoke, they, they boldly spoke God's truth. So every fear and threat that they had experienced, we'll see in a few minutes, was still coming at them, was still being thrown at them. But they had this burning message from God. And here's the key. They boldly shared God's message. Now you and I have that challenge today. We have the challenge that that, that will, with, with, with our very words as well as with our actions, we boldly share the truth of God's Word with people in our life. Beginning of 2021, just 13 or so short months ago, we initiated a challenge here at Palmetto Shores. You see it displayed out in the lobby. We called it, Who's Your One? The idea was that you would pray and ask God to put one person on your heart. And you pray for God to lead you to build a relationship with that person and do life with that person so you could have the opportunity to share the gospel with that person. And after sharing the gospel with that person, consistently pray that God would lead that person to come to know Him. And then you would continue your journey to show that person how to reproduce that process in, in their life. They come to know Jesus, and then you disciple them so that they can come to know Jesus and disciple other people. I don't know about you, but I got off to a great start praying for my one. And then distractions began to happen in our relationship. He's a very busy person. I'm a very busy person. And we just kind of lost contact, personal contact. And to this day, I'm still in the process of praying and trying to reconnect with that person who I chose and felt God leading me to choose as my one. Now I'm saying that today 
not to put you on a guilt trip because I'm in the same boat that you are. I want to see that man come to know Jesus and come to walk with Jesus and come to, I mean, he will have so much influence over so many other people when he comes to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you today, a word of encouragement is to remember that even though you might be like me, maybe your one hasn't come to know Christ yet. Maybe you still need to do more work in developing a relationship with that person and praying for that person or even backing up and praying that God will give you a person. I pray that you will be encouraged to let's get on with the work that, that God has called us to. We have to overcome distractions in order to fulfill God's priority for our life. And so I would encourage you to join me in admitting failure, if that's your case, and then moving forward with God's work. That's what Haggai and Zechariah were encouraging God's people to do. Secondly, we see in verses 3 through 10, how do you overcome distractions? Well, you believe the power of God is sufficient. Verse 3, at the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Sheshar Bozanai, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure. They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? And here's the key. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. And then we have kind of a repeat of that story uh, in the following verses, 3 verse 10. So after 15 to 20 years, the enemy came back with the same threats. We've heard these threats before. That's why the work stopped 15, 20 years earlier. And the enemy came back with these same threats. Do you ever feel like the enemy never gives up on you with challenging you with the same temptations over and over and over and over? A number of years ago, I was meeting weekly in a discipleship process with this young man who had a, had a wonderful family. Because of his work, we had to meet in a public mall space that had a little cafeteria over to the side. He only had just an hour to run away from his work and continue with our discipleship process and then run back to work. I couldn't help but notice with this young man that every time an attractive young lady walked by, he would totally lose focus on what we were talking about and his eyes would, would, would wander away. So after this happened about three times, I said, man, have you ever thought about getting some help for your sexual addiction? And then a few weeks later, I hooked him up with a, a professional doctor who specializes in sexual addiction, and he started that process, continuing my process. But as the weeks went by, he dropped out of my process. And he dropped out of the process with the counselor. And believe it or not, this young man ended up losing his job 
losing his family, losing everything because of a severe distraction that he had in this particular area in life. Distractions can come from anywhere. And no distraction is more or less serious than another. A distraction is a distraction from keeping the main priority in life, focused on knowing God and loving God and carrying out God's purpose for our life. Just like with Adam and Eve and their son Cain. I have, you have, every person since that tragic choice that they made to sin against God has that temptation to sin. That temptation to put priorities in their life over God and His priorities for life. And I want to tell you something. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. The enemy knows your weaknesses. He never gives up tempting us at our weakest point. Now also understand this. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? In every way that we have been tempted, yet without sin. Thanks be to God, Jesus never fell to temptation. He was tempted in every way you and I are, but he never fell to temptation. That's why he qualifies as our perfect, holy, sinless sacrifice for sins. Unfortunately, Haggai and Zechariah and Zerubbabel and, and uh, Joshua believed the power of God over the distractions of the enemy, over the recurring threats of their enemy. I want to remind you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Here's the key. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation. He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I don't know about you, but that's hallelujah course for me. And I don't know how the enemy is attacking you. I know how he attacks me. But I know this. When you are active rebuilding the gospel into the lives of other people, you will be challenged and you will be tempted. You'll be tempted with every challenge the enemy can throw against you. The Bible says in Ephesians that the devil, the, the, the enemy that we have, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil, the enemy, wants to eat you alive. And he, he sets it up by putting temptation in front of us. But Jesus and the power of God is stronger than any temptation if we will make him the priority of our life. Victory is a matter of belief. God always keeps his promises. The Bible says God is faithful. Always. Look at verse 5. The eye of their God was on the elders. So you can't change the past. But the eye of your God 
It's on you. You don't have to be defined by your past. God wants to forgive you of your past and move on to the present and move on to the future with Him. Because when God is the focus of our life, His mercy and His grace is greater than all of our sin. In 1783, Horatio Spafford wrote these words, It is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Yes, it is well. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I pray that that's the story of your life. I pray that every bit, every bit, all of your sin has been repented of, admitted, repented of, and put in the past. And then I pray that you're willing to move forward with God's priorities and believe that the power of God is sufficient. Thirdly, how do you overcome distractions? Well, you confess sin and move forward with God. You confess sin and move forward with God. Look at verse 11. This was their reply to us. Talking about God's people replying to the accusations, the distractions that were being thrown at them. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Verse 12, But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Chaldean who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. And then we have a repeat of the story beginning with verse 13. I want to give your, call your focus to verse 11 especially. Verse 11 reminds us of who we are. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, you are a servant of the God of heaven. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. Have you figured out yet that, that life's not about you? Life is about God. And everything about our life can be channeled to give praise and glory to a God who, yes, is just. Sin has been paid for. You deserve to pay for your sin. I deserve to pay for my sin. But thanks be to God. He's a God of mercy and grace. And He chose to come to this earth. He chose to bear in His own body the judgment, the penalty for my sin. It just makes me want to shout to God and say, Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your grace. To the degree that I am willing to confess whatever sin may be in my life and then move forward with God. That brings us to verse 12. Verse 12 says, Because our fathers had angered the God of heaven. See, these prophets, these leaders in the church, these followers of God, understood the fact that sin had separated them from the best that God had to offer. Their sin 
the sin of their fathers that they had continued to this day. Are you aware, basically, only one thing angers the God of heaven? One thing. And that's my sin. That's your sin. You and I were not only created by God, but we were created by God for His purpose. We were created by God to have fellowship with Him. And when we make the choice to turn against God, to turn away from Him and sin, that's what angers God. And that's why we all need to understand that, number one, temptation is not a sin. But falling to temptation is. And when we fall to temptation, we separate ourselves from God. And that's the big story picture, the big story picture of all of mankind. Our sin separates us from Creator God. You were created, and I was created by God for God. So what does God want us to do with our sin? What does He want us to do about our sin? Horatio Stafford had it just right. When we're distracted and tempted and disobey God and fall into sin, we need to confess our sin and repent of it. Confess it and repent of it and then move forward with God. As a student, I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers, who was a great giant pastor in my earlier generation. Here's what he said. He said, sin will take you farther than you want to stray, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's always true. That's what sin does. Sin is a destroyer of quality life for the believer. But again, thanks be to God that that's not the end of the story. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how much it's cost you, no matter how long you've been running from God, He is still loving you. He is still calling you to make Him the priority of your life. He has chosen you as His valentine. <laughs> His arms are open wide to love you, to forgive you. I want to take you to Romans. First of all, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible very simply quotes the psalmist and says, None is righteous, no, not one. In other words, none of us are good enough to stand before God because He's perfect, He's holy, He's just, and we're not. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you're letting your sin keep you from coming back into restored relationship with God, there's no reason for that. We're all in the same boat. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a solution to our sin problem. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sin and my sin. So we do not have to. And because he has paid that price for our sin, we deserve to make him the highest priority in our life. How does that work? In, in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. <laughs> the purpose for God becoming flesh and living in this world and living that perfect life in this world, the purpose for that was so that he could provide forgiveness for the sin that you and I commit. But we have to confess Him. We have to admit that we're sinners and believe that He died for our sin and then confess Him. Commit our life to Him. Commit our life to making all of life about Him. And once we make that move, once we put our trust in Jesus, once we let Him forgive us for our sin, listen, there is no shame in forgiveness. It's like our grandkids for Christmas, we gave them this little Etch-a-Sketch. I didn't know they still made it, but the Etch-a-Sketch thing, you, you, you write on the Etch-a-Sketch, and, and then there's this little thing at the bottom, you rub it across the bottom, and what happens to what you just wrote on there? It's gone. It's wiped clean. And that's what God has promised us when we confess Him as our Savior and confess Him as our Lord and commit in our life that we're going to make all of life about Him. So today I encourage you to confess your sin and put it past, put it in the past. Move forward with God. And then finally, as we wrap it up this morning, I encourage you to trust God's hand in the midst of distractions. I mean, distractions are coming. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if it still seems good to the king... Let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send his pleasure in this matter. Here's the bottom line. And these guys got it at this point in life. When God is for you, who can be against you? It doesn't matter. He is more powerful, more able, more creative than any distraction that the devil throws at you. But the key, the priority key, is to be totally committed to God and totally committed to His priorities. These faithful servants of God Use their good judgment, yes. They challenged the opposition this time. In chapter 4, they fell to the temptation. And the end of chapter 4 says the work of the temple ceased. But now, with the same threats coming at them, the same discouragements coming at them, the same temptations coming at them, they stood strong, not in their strength. They stood strong in the strength of God 
Almighty himself. They remembered that Persian king Artaxerxes had ordered a cease work order until the decree be made. There was an escape clause. And so they pulled that escape clause. And new king Darius, they appealed to him and continued the work. So to wrap it up today, I want to remind us again of something that we saw last week in the whole book of Haggai that, that we were led through. There are two kinds of sins. One kind of sin is sin that we sin against God's law. We break God's law, either intentionally or unintentionally, we break His law. And that sin separates us from God. But there's another kind of sin. And that is sinning by knowing things that God requires of us to do. Knowing things that God tells us to do, encourages us to do. Who's your one kinds of things? And not doing them. One's called the sin of commission. The other's called the sin of omission. Which kind of sin is worse? Well, they're equal. Both separate us from God. And so the call today from the book of Ezra is to understand that all sin distracts us from trusting God. All sin distracts us from keeping God's priority, keeping the main thing the main thing. And so trusting God's heart and trusting God's hand, I believe, is the best decision that you will ever make. It's the best decision that I will ever make. This past week, I had a very disturbing call from my first cousin in South Alabama. Emotionally, has upset me for the rest of the week. My first cousin informed me that the church that I trusted Christ in and that he trusted Christ in was down to 10 people. He had a conversation with that pastor last week, and that pastor told him that they would be lucky if they could last till December of this year. They were about to throw in the white flag. So what happened? I mean, what happened in that church that was thriving when I was growing up, that nurtured me and discipled me and gave me opportunities to minister and, and to serve? Well, I don't know all the facts, but I do know that somewhere along the way, the, the church family, the church family allowed distractions to overtake the purpose of the church. Coming to church is not the same as living life with the church. Jesus died for his bride, which he personally named the church. So from the spirit of Haggai and the spirit of Zechariah, I want you to join me today in making the bride of Christ, making the church a high priority, a high priority in your life and my life. Expect distractions to draw us away from keeping the prize of Christ 
in a lesser order than it should be in our life. Be willing to sacrifice your, your selfish priorities. I need to be willing to sacrifice my selfish priorities and humbly achieve the goal of being the bride of Christ. Listen to the description of the bride of Christ in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. We often use this in the context of marriage and marriage counseling, but it's not even about that. It's about the church. Husbands, love your wives. Listen to this now. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Jesus died for this church. Jesus died for the universal church, and we're part of that. In verse 26 of Ephesians 5, he says that he might sanctify her. That means to cleanse her, to wash her. He says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the church, you and I, might be holy and without blemish. Only one way that can happen. You can't try to be presentable to God. You can't try hard enough. You have to come through the blood of Jesus. You have to make Him the priority of life. So don't be distracted from being loved by Jesus. Don't be distracted by the things of the world. Some of you here this morning hear him calling you to trust him for the first time in your life. You've never prayed and said, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sin. Today I commit my life to you and I want to spend the rest of my life, the rest of my life, making all of life about Jesus. So in order to be the bride of Jesus, in order to be the glory of that Jesus Christ deserves to be. You have to trust God's hand in the midst of distractions because distractions are coming. But the power of God in you can be greater than any distractions. We have physical distractions. We have property kinds of distractions. We have cultural distractions. We have distractions by temptation to sin and even falling to those temptations. But I want you to join me today in trusting God's hand, trusting God's hand in the midst of these distractions. They're not going to go away. In fact, they're going to intensify. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you're going to be challenged and tempted to be distracted. But He is faithful. God is faithful. If you'll put your trust totally in Him. So how can you wrap this up? And again, next week we'll pick up right here because chapter 6 is really should be in with chapter 5. It's an extension of the same story. But what do you do with distractions? How do you deal with distractions? Let me ask you this question. How would you complete this? And again, if you have a worship guide today, look on the inside of the worship guide. You'll see this written down there. And this is for you to contemplate. I not only receive from our church, talking about Palmetto Shores, I not only receive from our church, but I also feel ownership of it. The main way the Spirit empowers me 
to contribute to our church is blank. I want to challenge you, either today or later today, sometime I want you to fill in that blank. How is God wanting to use your life to shine in this community, to shine in this county, to shine in this world as a beaming glory to the, the groom, Christ Jesus himself? Now, if you struggle with writing something in that blank, that's okay. That's why we're here as a church. We want to help you figure out, if, if you're a believer in Christ, then we want to help you figure out what your spiritual gift is and how you can best be utilized to serve in God's church and serve in the kingdom outside this church. Let us help you with that. In a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to, to write on the info card or go on our, our app and put in the confidential section, I need help. I need someone to help me walk through this journey of discovering how I can serve in, in God's family, in God's church. Let us help you. Let us help you do that. We would love to do that. It starts, though, by knowing Jesus. If you don't know him, that's the starting point to life on this earth and life in eternity. So I challenge you to make that your priority today. Trust him. Believe in him. And confess that today. Secondly, understand this. Past failure is not the end of God's work. Some of the best ministry that I know taking place in our world today is through people who have tried something in the past and either been, been distracted by sin or distracted by uh, the cares of this world and then repented of that and turned away from that and God has used them in a powerful way. And that can be your story too. Don't worry about the sin of the past. Confess it. And then let God take you from where you are right now to bring glory to Him. You can be a shining glory to Him. And finally, thirdly, victory is guaranteed for God's faithful followers. What is victory? Well, my definition of victory is fulfilling God's purpose for your life. That's to know Him and to make Him known. What is defined as a faithful follower of Christ. Well, you are a faithful follower of Christ when you respond to the call of God to reestablish your relationship with Him. That's where it starts. But then secondly, you're a faithful follower of Christ, faithful follower of God, when you make all of life about Jesus. And that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line to the challenge. Don't be distracted from knowing God, making Him the priority of your life, and making all of life about Jesus. God, I thank you today that the message that you gave through Haggai and Zechariah and Joshua and your faithful servants of old speaks loudly and speaks volumes to our life today. God, I don't know that there's ever been a time when the light of Jesus brightly burning in the life of a believer can create change in a church, in a neighborhood, in a community 
in a county, in a state, in a country, in a world. God, I want to be a part of that. And so I pray that in the next few minutes, as I contemplate your word to my life today, as your people here gathered in this room, contemplate what you're saying. God, help us to be willing to lay aside all distractions, lay aside every weight, and commit with our whole life to make your priority our priority. In Jesus' name, we continue to worship now. So take a few minutes now and either through a contact uh, card, through the app, just share what God's doing in your life and let His Spirit roll over in your mind and in your spirit as you draw close to Him.